once we kind of got the script down and then did the Kickstarter trailer video and, and when it launched, you know, it really um, did extremely well, you know, passing its initial kind of funding target. And during that time, um, Robin had found another producer to join us, which is Timon Singh, who was also on the call with us. And he was instrumental in getting many of the talented filmmakers, actors and writers on board. When it comes to documentary filmmaking as a whole, it usually can be quite stressful. How how have you been tackling it so far? What has been your game plan for getting everything together? Um, well, um, with with Ty on board, he has been essentially kind of communicating with all these with all these actors and directors to sort of find a time when they are available, and we're going to fit our schedule around them. So it's it's about sort of finding the right point when everyone's kind of got this availability, and we kind of you know started contacting them, you know, a couple of months ago. So you have this; we, they're all given a heads up, and some of them are say, "Look, come back later when you've got when you're closer to the time," because they don't they don't know what they're doing in say two or three months. And you know, if you ask most people, that someone says to you, "What are you doing in November?" You'd be like, "Oh, I don't know." Um, <laughs> so you have this kind of you know sort of trying to figure out when when everything's going to work for everyone. So, you know, we've already got um, the schedule uh, sorted for October, um, where Ty is going to fly out and interview these people. And some of the actors uh, and directors and stuff will, that are based around the UK and Europe, I will be sort of chasing up them and interviewing them. We've already got one interview in the bag, which is with a director, Peter McDonald, who uh, filmed and directed, sorry, uh, Rambo 3. And, you know, he's been a cap a camera operator for years on some so many classic movies such as superman and batman and more recently guardians of the galaxy so he's you know worked with jean-claude van damme a number of times so we've already got one in the bag and then the majority is going to be october so the stress for me is not at the moment you know the stress <laughs> is going to be for ty i think really <laughs> come uh, october trying to you know uh, running around trying to get these interviews in the bag and, and um, making sure he you know he gets the right uh, answers from these people and uh, the stress is going to be for me come the end of the year and early next year when i start editing the documentary and that's where documentaries are made they're made in the edit and um even though I'm credited as film director, as it were, the director of this documentary. I mean, it's more of an edit of an editing job. That's how it's created. So, um, yeah, that's going to be the biggest ball ache, <laughs> I think, at the end of the day. Hopefully, it would all make sense you know, by by the end. Yeah, uh, I think the, divvying up the interviews between us, because I'll be in LA, but there are certain people in the UK who will be visiting the UK while I'm in LA. That Oliver's going to be all over like a rash so at the moment it's going to be uh, dividing and conquering really i think that's the best way to do it yes yes when it comes to like the the rights issues for using footage have you encountered any issues with that so far or have the uh, studios been pretty good about that uh well you know my experience with youtube um it's 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 always been slightly problematic um with copyright because the system built in place is to sort of detect footage uh, when it's used but it's often detected when a clip is played unedited just a raw, raw clip you know exactly because it's looking for an exact copy but um you know you get claims now and again and i've, I've spoken to studios to get permission but the, the system getting permission is different for youtube than it is to actually releasing a commercial product because uh, so many people have said to me ollie why don't you put your retrospectives out on a dvd or a blu-ray which i can buy and I'm like well you know it's a nice idea it'd be fun 
happen to do but i've i've quizzed it with you know people at say universal and they're like uh no that no, you can't do that <laughs> so it'll cost you know a couple of thousand dollars in some cases to use certain clips of particular movies so um we're gonna we, we've kind of looked into different areas you know you can argue fair use in some cases for clips and how you how they're represented um I've spoken to other filmmakers who produce documentaries and they've they've argued that case and they've done pretty well and they, the studios haven't chased after them. Um, but there's, you know, we are setting aside funding for um, the licensing of clips because there's going to be a point where you're going to have to pay a set fee or argue the case of fair use. Um, but, we'll, you know, we, we can speak to necessary people to make sure what we do is absolutely correct and by the book. Uh, when you're going to start putting this together, I noticed that the way you cut your videos together, when you cut like a, a semi-trailer together in the videos that you put up, they're very, they're very well done. Will we be getting to see more of that in this documentary? Um, I'd hope so. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, they could be, you know, between each interview or like the, the, when the next actor or whoever's jumping in to sort of discuss a particular movie, there would be an intercut with this kind of you know kind of flashy editing um i spoke to sort of, sort of sound guys who who are interested in being involved and i sort of want them want them to sort of boost the sound effects because if you look at the canon documentary electric boogaloo um that had a lot of sound enhancements to sort of boost some of the scenes i thought was quite effective um it's not kind of altering it to be something completely different but it's kind of just amping it up so i think there will be time to play i think with some of the clips to sort of make it sort of you know more um impressive to watch but um hopefully um i can do that and not just be restricted just to using the clips just for specific kind of moments but um it's gonna be fun trying to create the intro to this documentary so that's probably where it's gonna have its most fun and obviously when uh, the, the official trailer uh for the documentary is released you know kind of early next year then <clears throat> i can have some fun with it when um <clears throat> excuse me pardon me when um when you started getting this rolling, who was was there a particular film in general or a interviewee that you were looking for that you have been uh, the most excited about covering? Well, you know, when when Ty had uh, managed to uh, get hold of Richard Donner, it was uh, probably the biggest shock for me because you know because <laughs> I'm such a huge fan of Superman the movie. But so I, I thought I said to myself, you know, if we, if we did speak to him, I have to sort of try and refrain oneself from. Uh, I'm talking about constantly about Superman, but he's you know he's he's the guy you know did Lethal Weapon you know he you know did some of the some of the great action movies of the 80s and into the 90s so he was the guy in Hollywood sort of um, you know he sort of kind of molded himself into being this action director where beforehand you know he he was the guy who did Superman and The Omen completely radically different movies but so he's a guy who could sort of tackle any genre but sort of you know steered himself in the direction of doing action um you know there's there's a uh, steven de souza you know who wrote commando die hard and running man is on board who's 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 always interesting to hear his hear his stories and how you know how he's you know um worked with his actors and how his films sort of come together he's um always fascinating to listen to so having him on board is another sort of um gem as it were and we've got you know over i think it's maybe over 30 people have sort of confirmed and and 
you know, the more and more people that jump on, it's always just like, oh my god, I've got, I've got to ask this person <laughs> this particular question about this movie. And you know, recently we've got Brad Fidel, you know, the composer of Terminator One and Two, and Johnny Mnemonic and uh, True Lies on board, which is fascinating. Which I'm sure Brad's probably fed up talking about Terminator, but you know, it has to be done. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's going to be really good fun. So also, you know, get to have a chat with him about True Lies and how that score came together. Are you are you uh, anticipating having too much too much content to just put into one documentary and maybe splitting it up into multiple ones? Well, uh, well, as my producer Robin Block keeps saying, you know, don't have too many talking heads because you end up with too many uh, too too much to edit and mm-hmm. become stressful. I mean, there's so many documentaries that have been funded on Kickstarter that have been heavily delayed or. There's, there was, I think that was a Ghostbusters one that everyone was kind of excited to see and, and funding ended about five years ago. <laughs> Apparently it's done, but um, it's not come out yet. So it may be sort of copyright problems or, you know, just the editing is taking too long. Um, so it's, you know, trying to think about... You know, there's always going to be compromises. I think when you've got too mm-hmm. many people talking, you, not everyone's going to be able to get their to use all their footage and which most actors and talents are aware of you know when you do see documentaries you know especially if you see one by the bbc you know there's there's quite a few news documentaries they they put out they're an hour long and they have about five six talking heads max so we're gonna aim as as many as possible i mean ties you know going above and beyond getting these these people on board and there's every single one that jumps on it's like oh my god we've got to have that person in you know so it's it's always just, just. Um, I just, I'll worry about it later. You know, I just don't worry about it now. <laughs> There's gonna be this. I want. It, it could be like a 90 minute documentary, but I'm trying to aim for like an hour 45, hopefully about two hours max. But if things don't all make the cut, there will be deleted scenes. So, for example, if we can't include uh, a discussion, the full discussion on say one particular movie, it will be a deleted scene. Mm-hmm. So no one loses out. Uh, the fans won't lose out in terms of like, oh, I need to know about Nowhere to Run with Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know, well, that will be there. Don't worry. So, because um, it's all about the narrative of the story. You know, you you have to. It's going to be so many edits along the way where you're going to be watching it and think, oh, this is is the is is the the pace right? You know, are we going to we need to cut this bit? We need to remove. We need to move this part somewhere else for it to make sense. So, the the story itself has to be maintained and not and not compromise because we need to include more discussion on tango and cash. So, mm-hmm. um, so we'll, we'll see how it, how it all fits together come uh, early next year. Yeah. And I think as a producer, I'd rather only have too much footage than too little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there could be a super duper extended cut in a couple of years. It's five hours long. <laughs> I'd rather have, have a, 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 you know, just a wealth of riches than just kind of, one good interview that you can do. So yeah. I'm just going to besiege him with footage and then walk away and leave him to do the editing. <laughs> My job is done. Yeah. 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 Uh, when it comes to covering uh, everything that is action movies in the 80s and 90s, does that also include the um, merchandising? Uh, that that me and Ty had kind of you know ridden out this sort of this sort of the narrative and what, what's going to happen in the first and the middle act and the final act. And I think the middle act was kind of the merchandising was kind of was rolled into 
things like action, you know, it's like the toys and the video games. So um, I'm chasing and up music some... videos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the sort of and sort of the home video kind of format and sort of discussing some of the posters and how it looked. And there's going to be, you know, I've sort of visualized elements where you're going to see the VHS tape and it's going to be, you know, rotating around so and it will give you information about when it was released how the budget was what the box office was so it gives you that kind of element for my retrospectives that have kind of been extended into this documentary so the format is familiar um but yeah the merchandise is gonna be fun you know i like all that stuff because i grew up that stuff mm-hmm it, it is weird that rated r movies were marketed so much in right, merchandising so towards we're, children we're, Oh yeah, it was shocking. Yeah, absolutely. Was, I had a uh, eight hundred action figure, you know, years before I even saw the uh, the Terminator films, and yeah, it, it's crazy. Because I had yeah, my friends had like Robocop and a Terminator Nine. The Robocop had like his cap thing on his back, where you put caps in and you press it and he makes a cap, you know, makes a gun sound. Um, but it was mostly like the video games as well. You know, it was playing Robocop and. Uh, Predator on like the Commodore 64 and Spectrum, you know, mm. and that was something that for those for, for kids growing up, that will may have been their their window into these movies and thinking, now what's this based on? What's this Robocop thing? You know, and then you look at the box art; it's all like photos from the film. It's like, oh my god, I've got to see this. And then when you do see it, you're terrified or freaked out because you know Alex Murphy just gets destroyed at the beginning, <laughs> which. Uh, you know, which kind of freaked me out when I was like nine years old. So that was my kind of window into that. But once, you know, he becomes Robocop, it just becomes this kind of superhero kind of action movie. So it's it, it's less gory, but um, yeah. <laughs> just excessive drug use and lots of violence, but still it's 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 <laughs> yeah. passable if you're, if you're kid, close to 10. Compute that. You just, you just, all you want to see is Robocop blast people to bits and that amazing <laughs> score in the background. So, you know. Uh, since you did meet your uh, funding goal really quickly, but you still have ongoing funding, what is the funding after your um, set point going to be used for? Well, that'll essentially be for remote interviews and uh, licensing footage and clips, and mm-hmm. we have additional things like sound engineering, the mixing, uh, color correction. I mean, I can I can do color correction, but it's it's better to sort of get professional to sort of look into this, and motion graphics as well. So. And the score as well. We are having, because we're offering the soundtrack as well as part of one of the perks. So um, I am, I, I got headhunted by a lot of comp- This is that it will be kind of synth wave kind of music. But then I was like, well, you know, I kind of want something a bit more orchestral because if you look back at 80s movies, you know, trying to sort of replicate that it was mostly orchestral music. You know, people mm-hmm. think, oh, everything was synth back then. But if you look, the only films that really had synth music were kind of the ones that couldn't afford an orchestral <laughs> score. So you'd have, uh, you know, horror films would mostly be synth scores. I mean, you had, you know, you know, examples of you know, big movies with orchest- with a synth score, like Harold Fortemire stuff for Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2 and um, The Running Man and, and Tango and Cash. But there was... Um, the main the main drive was to have orchestral music by Jerry Goldsmith or James Horner, you know, or mm-hmm. Alan Silvestri. So um, I've, you know, I'm going to be choosing, picking and choosing who will be providing music and if they can kind of provide me with a theme uh, and provide me with sort of just an underscore throughout the entire documentary. I would really love to get like a song at the end, like 
like 80s movies did and they still do movies still still have that like a song at the end but i want something that captures the spirit of the 80s and uh so try and find an artist who can provide something which is really just sort of epic at the end and very catchy and people will start remembering it and that will be part of the soundtrack that's released you already as well. have uh, stan bush on board so i might just mention it to him if yes see, see stan yeah. bush free to do a song that would you know that'd be amazing that would be amazing because i'm just be like, like meet the guy to be honest but yeah <laughs> so you know the guy did transformers and things like bloodsport that would just be you know a, a dream come true to have that as part of your film you know so it, um yeah the very the very high energy very empowering songs that he does just yeah it, it's so yeah. 80s <laughs> not about sex and drugs it's just overcoming your obstacles and doing it in a righteous way that's it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with big hair so big, yes. the bigger hair the better yeah <laughs> can't get through the door 